Hey, uh, what a great time of worship. So glad that you came this morning. Today's a special day for us. Uh, since last week, we've announced that our church actually is officially secured some property. Um, so you heard in the announcement, we're so excited about what's next. Yeah, it's been incredible. Thank you so much for all of your, uh, you know, just just your, your support. Thank you for your emotional support. Thank you for praying for your pastors. If this is your home, please pray for your pastors because buildings and stuff, my pastor always had to worry about it. So I never had to worry about it. Now I'm like stressing about things I never even knew about. Permits and zoning and you know plumbing and where's the septic tank and all this stuff. And I'm like, I just love Jesus, man. I just want a building, you know. Uh, but we do have some great things ahead. Today after church, we're going to actually have our first open house over at the property. And so at 12 o'clock noon today, we're going to meet over at 45 Lakeview. We will open it up. You can come in. You can see the rooms. You can ask questions. Randy and I will be there. Some of our lead team will be there. We're just, just going to open it up. Just want you to see it. Um, we are currently, the one thing we have to do is we have to replace a fire panel so it can pass inspection. And so just pray for parts to show up. We're hoping that we can still be in by the 25th. That's the goal. Um, but we have stuff moving. And so it's a great day, y'all. I'm just excited, you know. So thank you so much uh, for being here today. Hey, if you have your Bible, go with me to Psalm 133. And uh, you heard about our Dream Team picnic coming up for Labor Day weekend. We're excited about that. Excited that, you know, summer is coming to an end and the nice weather is on its way a little cooler. It's on its way down. And y'all really don't like winter around here, huh? As soon as I start saying cooler, y'all think like 10 degrees. <laughs> Get all depressed. Um, but we're just, we're just thankful for what God's been doing. One, one, uh, Psalm 133, if you have it, say I have it. If you're new to church today, if it's your first time or second time, welcome. Glad you came. Whoever invited you, you are you were supposed to be here today. Like you're in a church that we, we think you should go to church, uh, but we believe that what Jesus has done for you is more important than what you can do for him. We believe that what you do for him is fueled by what he's done for you. And so if you're new to church, new to religion, this is a safe space, you can explore today. If you're not a Christian, you just kind of want to peek in and see what would it be like. This is the best place to do it today. We're just glad that you're in the building. Psalm 133, here reads the word of the Lord. It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Someone say unity. Say it like you wish we had more of it. Unity. Unity is like precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's go back to verse one. I wanna draw your attention to verse one today in Psalm 133 as we uh, jump into the message. The Bible says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters Dwell together in unity. Uh, I want to title this message today, We Might As Well Go Together. If we're going to go anywhere, we might as well go together. I'm going to pray in just a second, but I want to honor someone special who's here today. I get a chance to shout her out early. My mother-in-law is out here on the front row. Can you make some noise for my mom this morning? I love you. A, a lot of you guys know the, the story of my mom. Um, when, when I got married into this family, this woman became mom. And uh, I wouldn't be able to stand on this platform for them for you. So I love you so much. Yeah. She's like, okay, I cry now. 
Let's pray. Father, help us today. Thank you for the spirit of God in this place. Lord, I pray that today wouldn't be confusing. Pray today wouldn't be intimidating. Pray today would be simple and plain. And we would be able to see something about you that we've never seen before. So we love you. Thank you. We invite you now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Turn to someone next to you. Say, if we're going somewhere, we might as well go together. Yes, you're in one of those churches. Uh, for the last uh, 16 months, ladies and gentlemen, I've had the privilege of being a dad. And uh, I love being a dad. It is like the greatest joy in my life. For years, I dreamed about being a dad. Uh, for a solid year, I even doubted that I would ever be a dad. Uh, so when I became a dad, I was just like, this is amazing. This is incredible. I've noticed that, that being a dad is a lot like marriage, like there's a honeymoon phase. And it's awesome, and it's a blessing, but it seems like the closer they get to 18, the more of a blessing it becomes. Anybody? Bad joke. We're going through this season right now, me and my wife with our daughter. She's 16 months, and, um, you know, for being 16 months, she's gotten around quite a bit. Like, she, you know, travels a lot with us. I think I was thinking about this morning, my, my daughter is 16 months. She's been on, like, 10 airplanes already. Um, like we take her with her us on trips and, you know, we take her with us when we go visit family, when we go on ministry trips, when we go do stuff, she's always with us. I miss the days when we could just say, what do you want to do today? Well, let's go do this. All right, let's go do it. No longer are those days. It's like, well, pack up the bag. Well, get him in the car seat. Well, make sure they got diapers. Well, make sure you got this. And then 30 minutes later, you're like, where are we going? I forgot where we were even going. <laughs> But my daughter is getting to an age now where flying on an airplane is like, this is like, this takes mastery to get your kid on an airplane without losing their mind. It's so funny because when you get onto the plane with the kid, everyone kind of just gives you that look like, I hope you're not sitting next to me. <laughs> and you start kind of coming down the, the aisle of the airplane. I like to mess with people. I like to go, oh, oh yeah, just kidding, just kidding. Oh, oh, just kidding. I'm in the cheap seats way in the back. Oh, yeah. And I just remember one time I was taking her through and I was just trying to, you know, just trying to be, honestly, when I go on an airplane, I'm just trying to be the happiest guy on the plane. That's the goal. So I'm just like, hey, how you doing? You know, and, and I remember one time, like, you know, looking and, and as I'm coming on the plane, this lady was at the front and she's going, I'm supposed to be in there. And she was complaining because she wasn't supposed to be in coach. She wanted to be like in like economy plus, which isn't first class, but it's kind of like coach. <laughs> okay, let's be honest. It's like three extra inches if that. So I got my kid here and she's starting to go off. And if you've ever seen airplane drama before, you're tempted to like pull out your phone and be like, is this a viral moment right now? Like what's about to happen? And she's like going off and I got my baby there. And I'm just kind of like, like, excuse me. And she's like, oh, excuse me. And I said, oh, okay. So I'm just kind of sitting there staring at her and I just go into numb mode. I'm just like, I'm supposed to be on there and this is my seat and I'm sitting back here. And I was just like, looking, and I'm like, this is crazy. I'm just blown away because like she was so upset about three inches. Now, if you paid an extra 300 bucks, be as upset as you want. But, but it was so interesting because I'm sitting on this plane and I'm like, this lady's upset where she's sitting, but we're both going to the same direction. We're both going to the same destination. Like, like I love when there's a, lane, a line to get on the plane, like everyone's in a rush to get on the plane. Like, I just want to get on the plane. And I'm like, we're all going on the plane. And I think sometimes it's true in our lives, like this lady on the plane, we are so concerned about the particulars of where our life is that we forget the direction we're even going. Wow. Yeah. Like, 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 what good is it to complain about where you sit if you're not even focused on where your life is heading? 
Well, I want them to notice and I want them to see and I want to be validated and recognized. Okay, but if you can't tell me what that is for, then it sounds like more like you just want to be recognized. But the people that get recognized are the ones not that want to be seen. They're the ones that are focused on where they're going. We say it like this. It doesn't matter where you came from. It matters where you're going. There, there's something about a destination that kind of draws into uh, the Christian's life. God, when he spoke to you about your life, he gave you a destination. First time you heard the gospel or you came to a church, you heard a message on marriage or business or finances or kids or, or you know, gossip or whatever the title of the message was, there was a moment where something came across to you and God says, hey, you know, I have this for you. I've got a destination I want to take you to. I've got a, a place of fulfillment and meaning and value. I mean, am I the only one? I feel like sometimes I do things in my life and I just do them to do them. And it's not until weeks go by of you doing it that you're like, why, why am I doing this? Because if what you're doing now doesn't contribute to where you're going, it will keep you from where you're going. So we get upset with God and we complain because we haven't got there yet. And we say, well, I want to get there. And I'm, I'm upset with you because you haven't healed them yet or you haven't provided yet or you haven't changed the situation yet. And I just think personally, my opinion is believing in God is not about getting stuff. It's about going somewhere. Believing, believing in Jesus is not about possession as much as it's about movement. What you get is Jesus. You get a connection and a relationship with Jesus. Does he bless us? Absolutely. Does he provide for us? Listen, I'm, I'm on a miracle and a prayer moving out here, still doing well. Like, of course he provides for us. But the goal is not to get stuff from him. The goal is to allow him to lead us to a destination. And I just learned on that airplane with that potentially viral moment with a baby in one hand, just looking at this lady, I realized that if sometimes if, we, if we're so concerned about our positions and where we sit and where people see us, it will change our ability to just be normal people. We'll be so focused on, but look at me, look at my position. I try to lead the way on this. I'm a pastor, absolutely. Um, but, 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 but one day I won't be a pastor not of this church. One day I will be a husband to my wife and I'll be a father to my daughter and I'll be pastor to pastors. But one day I will not be the pastor, the senior pastor of Gospel Church. It's just in my mind already. So if I have that understanding that this belongs to God, this position, being a pastor belongs to God, then you'll never abuse it. But if we're always like, well, I'm the man here. I'm the boss. I do this. I'm the man of the house. It's my way or the highway. And we rest in our positions, but we don't let our character speak. No one's going to care about your position if there's no sense of character in you. The, who am I talking to here? Hello. This, this is the difference between positional leaders and relational leaders. Positional leaders say, listen to me because I'm the leader. Relational leaders say, listen to me because I want to help you and do this together. Are you with me? It's one thing to tell people to get in the trench and do it. It's another thing to get in the trench. You following? And as Christians, we're just recognizing that in a world that is so divided, in a world that is so focused on first class, business class, economy class, everyone wants to know where they're at, that we've got to stay unified in knowing where we're going. If all of us were to take time to talk about our interests, all of us would be different in this room. But what unites us is not how different we are. What unites us is that we all still need a Savior. And so what makes Christianity good news is not that it's like a plug and play for every person, like whatever, you know, just press play, you're all good to go. It's the same for everybody. No, the gospel meets us where we're needed. 
And it reveals to us the God that we need. It reveals like the, 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 the type of save, uh, saving that our souls need. So I was just thinking about unity this week and reflecting on our series. Um, if you're new to our church, we've been in a message series for seven weeks now on the, the, the songs of ascent. And if you never heard that before, it's okay. The, the book of Psalms has 150 chapters. And uh, I'd like to take the next six hours to read all 150 to you right now. <laughs> Some of the husbands like, I knew this was that kind of church. And so 150, <laughs> 150 chapters, there's 15 in there that are called the songs of ascent. Now, these 15 songs, as, as the people would leave their houses and they would go to Jerusalem to worship, they would only sing these 15 songs, okay? So as they would get ready to leave, they would go meet outside the house. Where are we meeting now? We're meeting in the son of Joe's house. Okay, we're all at Joe's house. Okay, they do a roll count. Everyone's here. Guys, we got a six-hour walk to Jerusalem. Okay, we're going to go worship the Lord and sacrifice. Let's go. And as they would start walking, someone would pull out the, the hymn book, if you will, the psalm book, and they would say, let us sing. And they would sing these 15 songs. And as a church, we've been talking about how we need a song for our life, that when we go through seasons, it's not how much we want to get out of them that matters. What matters is the song we're singing while we're in them. I've met a lot of Christians that are just negative, down people. And the sign of a mature faith is not how long have you been a Christian. The sign of a mature faith is when you're in trials, how well do you speak about things? Are you with me? You, you You know what people were marveled by at the early church? is how these early Christians would die for their faith. Like they used to look at them and they would say like, how is it that we are burning you at the stake for your faith and you are still praising Jesus? How is it that even when Jesus died, he was like, Father, why have you forsaken me? But believers in Jesus die even better. They don't say, why have you forsaken me? They say, we love you, Lord, as they're dying. How, how can that be? How, how can it be? It's because a mature, weathered, tested faith comes when you've been through some stuff. And it's not that you just want God to give you a Bentley and a 10-bedroom house, but you know that God's with you even if you have nothing. As they say, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When I have him and I have nothing, it's actually I have everything. And my life is not even my own anymore. So we've been just going through that. As Christians, we need a song. We We need to give a song. And this week we come to Psalm 133 which just out the gate is a great scripture. Right away, the writer says, behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. Now, behold is a great word in the Hebrew. This word doesn't mean just like, oh, check it out. Behold is like sit and bask and contemplate this. So the writer is not saying like, hey, check it out. They're friends. The writer is saying, can you believe in a world that's so divided? Can you believe, like take a second and just look at this. Like, look at the fact that there can be multiple churches in a community, and all the churches can be working together to advance the gospel. Well, my people go here, and your people go there. Well, it's all, they're all God's people. So the writer says, behold, kingdom-minded people. How good and pleasant is it, is it when brothers dwell in unity? Now, unity is a word we've all wanted, and especially in the last two and a half, three years, it's, it's been the topic of almost every political conversation. We're so divided. You're dividing this. He's dividing this side. This is a divide. And everyone's talking about division, like as if that's the talking point. But unity is something that we should really be after. A couple thoughts on why we're not unified. Let me give you some bullet points real quick, just about why I think we're not unified. The first one is we pick sides without seeing people. 
So this is, why, this is how we get divided on issues. This is whether it's political issues, whether it's ethnic issues, whether it's financial issues, whatever it is. Whenever you pick a side, you automatically divide. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Yes? Je- Jesse, can you join me on stage? Mr. Paul, can you guys join me on stage? Let me try to illustrate this a little better for you. Because th- sometimes we get into an issue and we think like, we think like, oh, well, you know, but I'm a Christian, so I hold these values. And it's like, yeah, but you can hold values without choosing sides. Okay, so if Jesse, come on this side here. Jesse's my boy. I love Jesse. Paul's my boy. And uh, you're my boy, Paul. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Okay, so Jesse comes to me and he says, you know, uh, uh, I think that that you should vote for this person. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then Paul comes and says, yeah, but I think you should vote for this person. And it's like, okay. And, And we're all Christians. We all go to the same church. The moment now that I say, well, you're right. I should vote for this person. And I pick a side of an issue without even thinking about it, I divide. (laughs) It's the same in our family issues, isn't it not? Well, you know, your grandpa over here says this, you know, but your dad over here says this. And what we do, we say, well, I have to choose. I have to choose. Well, I love my grandpa, so of course I'm going to talk to my grandpa. And without even thinking about it, we divide. There has to be a way where no matter what the issue is, I can hold my values. Yeah, I'm going to vote that way, but I'm not going to forsake my brother who votes differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree with this culture group, but it doesn't mean that anyone that doesn't look like and sound like this culture group thinks that this culture is wrong. Are you with me? Well, you know, you're racist because you're this and well, you're that. And what we do is we pick sides without even knowing these are still people. Are you with me? Thank you, guys. So what happens is, without even recognizing it, we, we take our choice. And you've got to have a choice. I don't want to be on those guys that are like, we should all be friends. Like, there's differences. Okay? But you should have your free will, your free choice, without having to disregard other people. Okay, can I give you another one? Why we're so divided at times. The second one is, we label entire groups of people without even seeing people. This is called political enmeshment. This is, you can't tell where one person starts and the next one ends. Because you don't see a group of five individuals, you see, well, they're all conservatives. Or they're all black people. These are all black people. And what we do is we just assume that everybody in that group is like that because we don't take the time to actually know individuals. It's getting real quiet, y'all. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> preaching. So, so this, is, this is how it happens. I did this the other day. We were out there praying by the spiritualist shop, and I was like, you know, everyone that comes in the shop is a witch and a warlock. And it's like, well, that's not true. It happens. We all do it. Well, everybody that does this is this. And it just happens so subtly that we have to recognize this is what leads to division, these little points. Number three, we think acceptance means approval. We get divided because, well, if they come to our church and they're living this way, that means we approve the way they live their life. And that's just not true. That's just bad thinking, you know? It's like someone can be in my life and I can accept them and love them and embrace them without approving of everything they do. Y'all looking at, some people in here, you won't even let me follow you on Facebook because you don't want me to see your posts. Are you with, are you with me? As, as if that means like, as if that means like, I see your posts and because we're friends, that means I agree with everything you put, post whatever you want. At the end of the day, we should be able to accept people without approving of everything they do. Are you following me? I'm not talking about compromising on sin. I'm not talking about disregarding the Bible. Like, listen, if you have a relationship with somebody and you know them and you know they're in sin, call them out. Grab the Bible. I've gone to many people in our church before and been like, hey, you have a better relationship with this guy than me. Why don't you reach out to him? 
Because I don't want to come up in here and say, hey, I heard you're having sex before marriage. You know, he's going to look at me like, what a jerk. But if one of his friends from his last church, who was like a dad figure in his life, who's also at this church, comes up to him and says, hey, you know, how's it been going? Well, there's a different level of trust. Are you following? Yes, this is a whole sermon in and of itself. And the fourth one, we think our mission as Christians is to prove people wrong, not love people well. (sighs) These are the reasons why we're divided. And then I'm going to give you some things about unity next. But the reason why I think we get divided is we think the mission is I got to be right. And like at the end of time and I'm face to face with God, like it better be the God that I've been believing in. And, 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 and if your religion is all about being right, is it really good? Like, I'd love to have debates and conversations. And I just love because I think that we've lost how to have a civil conversation in our world. Like recently met with some Latter-day Saints again. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I was meeting with some Latter-day Saints and this is the fourth meeting we've had with them. And the moment we sit down and we start talking, um, you know, it just got like, he, he's one of the, one of the missionaries said something. And all I said is like, Hey, I hope, you know, we don't believe the same thing. And he was like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, of course we believe the same thing. And he just went on this like kick. He was so upset about me challenging his thought. And I just said, well, I don't want to say like, I'm right. You're wrong. But I also just want to let you know, like, I love you way too much to let you sit here and just say something like that. Like, let me clarify. This is what actually Christians believe. And sometimes when we're in a conversation, we can get so caught up about, I need to prove you're right. I need to prove that I'm right. I need to prove that I'm right. That we forget about, like, how about loving people well? Like, people in the witchcraft community can meet Jesus if people in the Christian community love them well. Right? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, people, can I go further? Can I go further? Like, people in the homosexual community can meet Jesus. Like, I believe that there, we have seen it coming from Palm Springs. We saw many people leave that lifestyle. It can happen, but if Christians are always like poking before they even get a chance to come in the door, how are they going to hear about it? So all I'm saying is there has to be an understanding. Unity comes when we know our mission. Jesus said in John 13, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So your validation as a Christian comes from the love you display. Not the point you're making, not the debate you won, not the argument that you think you were one-upped on. Like, it comes by the love you show. Can you believe they said that to you? They'll know you're a Christian by the love. Well, you know, I don't know what they're going through today. That's a Christian right there. That's when Jesus says, oh, you love them. Well, aren't you going to get upset because, you know, they said that to you? And it's like, no, I'm going to be slow to to speak on this one. Quick to listen. Just going to take a deep breath. My daughter's doing this thing where she starts screaming. We go deep breath. She goes, I can't tell you how many times in the last two weeks I felt like I just needed to go, <gasps> because the success of our church is not how quick can you get into a building? How quick can you get all your equipment? How quick can it be the best thing early? The success of a church is how healthy are the people that are actually there? Like, do we like each other? Do we want to be around each other? Those are the metrics for me is how do we move forward as a community? In church, we need unity displayed through love. Amos chapter three, Old Testament prophet. He says it like this. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? In other words, two people can't move forward together unless there's an agreement. Now, listen, we might dress differently. We might spend our money differently. We might view politics differently. We might view life differently. But if we can have an agreement that we all need Jesus, this church will move forward. Are you following me? I, I, I meet with addicts on Tuesday nights, our recovery group, and I just tell them, hey, as your pastor, I will always fight for an addict to have a seat in our church. 
Why? Because we are presenting the gospel to people, the good news of Jesus. So just so we can all be in agreement, we're reaching people, then we'll move forward. We need unity if we're going to go forward. So really quick, three things about unity today um, that I think will just kind of drive this point home as we move a little bit closer towards moving into our own building. Um, These points have been coming from my prayer closet. They've been coming just from things in my life that I'm working on, and I hope they'll bless you today. Number one, unity is costly, but it's worth it. The one thing I know about unity is sometimes it has you looking crazy, and it has you has you, it has people mad at you, you know, was preaching one time and I was like, you know, Jesus would wash this president's feet and he would wash this president's feet. All I was saying is, you know, Jesus has a heart to serve anybody. And people were just so upset. How could you say such a thing? Well, are you kidding me? He's not going to do that. You don't know Jesus, all this stuff. And I was like, oh, like I'm just trying to unify people. I'm just trying to get us to see we have a lot more in common than we think we do. And so although we say we want unity, until someone shows me they want it, I don't know if they really want it. Unity is costly. Verse 1, behold, Psalm 133, verse 1, how, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. David is the writer of this, and David, he, he's allowed to say how good and pleasant it is. He knows what it's like to be divided. If you're familiar with the story of David, he, he didn't have a lot of unity throughout his life. Um, he was overlooked by his own father. The prophet came and said, hey, the next prophet is here, and uh, the next king of Israel is here. And his dad is like, oh, I got six sons right here. And David was like outside. And he forgot David even existed in that moment. Overlooked by his own father. He was falsely accused by his own king. When he kills Goliath and he gets into the palace, the Bible says that Saul starts getting jealous and actually eventually tries to kill him for doing nothing wrong. Division. And then his own son actually set him up later on in his life. When he was the king, his son staged a coup to try to betray his father and take his position, his blood son, his only son. So when he says how good and pleasant it is when brothers are in unity, you can almost hear his story. Like, oh, my own family sometimes is not unified to me. Oh, my own king was chasing me down, trying to kill me. How could he say how good and pleasant it is unless he had been around some things that were bad and disturbing and ugly? Don't discount the ugly seasons of your life because they set up you to really see true beauty later on. Are are you following me? Sometimes we're like, ah, this isn't God. And it's like, how do you know? It says he takes ashes and turns them into beauty. So so you present the ash. That's your job. You don't worry about how it's going to become beauty. You just bring the ashes. That's what you do every Sunday when you come to the altar at the end of church and we're going to open up the altars at the end of church. You bring in the ashes. You're just saying my life is not going well or my marriage is over or my addiction's getting to me or I'm struggling. And you bring the ashes. It's his job to turn it into beauty. Psalm 34, same guy. He says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. I need a good amen right there. Many are the afflictions of the people that are in right standing with God. Many are the afflictions of people that claim they believe in Jesus. Like, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get more difficult. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. So the question is not, how big is your pain? The question is, what have you done with your pain? The question is, are you wasting your pain? 
was sitting with my wife recently. She was sharing with me about a small group, and there was a woman in the small group talking about what she was going through. And then there was another young woman that, that was going through a similar situation, but like 10 years earlier. And she started saying, that's what happened to me, what you're saying right now. And she just opened up. And all of a sudden now her pain became medicine for this woman who was already experiencing the pain. You with me? A sermon, yes, there's notes and there's study and theology, and it better be good because, you know, God's going to check it one day. This better makes sense. But all a sermon, a sermon becomes real when the preacher says, here's the word, here's the theology, here's my pain mixed in with it. Now that my pain is mixed in, those listening can actually go, oh, wow, he's just like me. And now that there's pain involved, we seem to connect more. Like, I love victory. We've had a lot of victories lately. But wouldn't you say that we're more connected to our pain? Like, what makes us brothers and sisters is not like, oh, you got a new house. Well, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get a house. Oh, you know what it's like to lose a house. Oh, you know what it's like to be worried about something. Oh, see, those are connection points. For other people, they say, well, I'm, I've been financially stable my whole life. Everything's great. It's not really a thing for me. But they have another pain point of emptiness or loneliness or depression that that pain can be used. The church has to do a better job at talking about pain. My pastor was on our podcast recently, and uh, he was talking about this. He, he went to a social media a meeting. He went to Facebook offices in SoCal and went and sat with their team and was just listening to how they do stuff. And in the social media meeting, they were talking about pain points, depression, financial worries, you know, sexual immorality. They're going down the list of all the pain that people have. They spent like, and the lady tells my pastor, she says, you know, we spent about eight hours talking about pain. And then we talk about one hour about how can we now bring a solution to Facebook to deal with that pain. And my pastor goes, man, that's different because the church seems to always talk about solutions, but we don't really talk about pain that much. And now you wonder why, like this next generation in droves finds a connection in their phones more than they do in the church. It's because there's more pain online. And if it is all highlight reels, there's still thousands, millions of people behind those screens that are in pain. And so at our church, we keep it real. Someone say, keep it real. Someone say, keep it a buck. We got to keep it real in this house. If we're going to see actual life change, we have to keep it real. So unity is costly, but it's worth it. I got one more here. I got to show you Ephesians 4. I think sometimes people think the job of the Christian is to create the unity, and it's not even expected we create it. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called to. Stop doing the stuff you used to do before you meet Jesus. He's like, come on, walk in a manner worthy now of this calling. Verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Hello, dads, patience. Hello, moms, patience, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Here it is, eager to maintain the unity. So the apostle says, in church, we should be eager to maintain the unity. Sometimes we're eager to be divisive. And we're eager to say, well, they just need to know what they really did. And, and we're eager to show those things instead of like, I'm eager to maintain the unity, so I'm going to hold my tongue on this one. I'd rather, you ever been there before? I'd rather just not say anything now. Because you're going to open up a can of worms or sardines or whatever y'all eat out here. It's just, we're going to open a can of something and put it on a fishing pole. Like, come on. So rather than getting invested in something you don't need to get into, why don't I just try to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? Unity is costly, but it's worth it. Second, unity is bigger than me. 
Unity is not just so that you can have peace and you can go, well, I'm unified. I, like for the longest time, I, I, I was a person that if someone didn't like me, it would like bother me. Like I would, I would like, I, I would want to go out of the way to make sure they knew that that's not really what I'm like. And, you know, I just want to make clear and just, you know, you leave a meeting and you call somebody. I just, you know, the way that the meeting ends, I just wanted to make sure and, you know, just, just overthinking things and just kind of getting in. We can make it all about our own peace and about doing things just for us. But ultimately, we're unified as Christians because this is the kingdom of God we're representing. So when you say, I'm a Christian, immediately that person thinks of all the Christians they know. And now unity becomes a way that the church gets recognized in the world. The world should look at the church and say, yeah, they actually get along. But we wonder why people don't want to come to church. They're like, even the Christians can't get along. Why would I want to go there? So unity is bigger than me. Look at verse 2. It says this, uh, it is like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. So unity is like the anointing oil when they would anoint priests. Aaron is Moses' brother. And if you go back and read Exodus, Moses, he told God, he's like, I don't know how to speak. I'm not a good speaker. I can't do this. And he's like, I'll send your brother then. Come on. So Aaron is the guy that becomes the high priest and basically says when we're unified, it's like oil being poured out on the priest and it hits his head and then the oil kind of flows down to his beard and then it just kind of keeps flowing and eventually down to his collar of his robes and then eventually all the way down his robe and his garment. And the principle is that when, 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 when unity comes from the head, it flows to the rest of the body. So, so it's the same here in this church. Like if we're going to be a kingdom-minded church, it's got to start with the leaders and saying, you know, we're kingdom-minded. Like we give money to other churches. We support pastors. Like people come to our church and you say, oh, I came from this church. That guy was a clown. You know, we, we don't talk about other pastors. Like we'll let you talk until you feel uncomfortable about them. And then we'll go, okay. But like we don't talk bad about other pastors. Like because it has to be starting with us to flow down. This oil wasn't just plain olive oil. This was uh, the anointing oil. Exodus chapter 30, it gives four ingredients to the anointing oil. Uh, the liquid myrrh, sweet-smelling cinnamon, aromatic cane, and a few, uh, four quarts of olive oil. So the myrrh was like a sap-like resin that kind of got extracted from these thorny trees. And that myrrh would get extracted from the trees, and they would mix it together, and then they would take the cinnamon. And, and cinnamon comes from like real straight trees, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and they take that and they mix it together with cane. This cane, a lot of people think cane is like the sugar, um, but the aromatic cane is more like a grass. It's more of like a grass that smells once it gets bruised. There's a, mm, there's a scent that comes from the bruising. It's not until it's bruised does the, it release the scent. You know what I'm saying? And that, is that not life? Like, what, what, what scent could come from you if you were just to say, I'm going to get bruised, but I'm going to turn this into worship for God? Okay. And then lastly, the four, count, uh, four quarts of olive oil. And man, I could preach olive oil all day. That's the same thing. Those things had to be pressed before the oil comes out. I love, I love how you preach the word, Pastor Billy. You're looking at 10 years of being pressed, being corrected. Every sermon I ever preached before we launched gospel had to get viewed by my pastor and our theology director. And I had so many times sermons get sent back and say, you can't preach this. And I'm like, it's a youth service. And they're like, yeah, but if you preach this to the youth, they're going to grow up thinking this way. So the anointing is not something just from a charismatic gift. It's through pressing and crushing. That's why the Bible says rejoice when you go through suffering, because you don't know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So that 
pressing produces something. Are you being pressed right now? Well, maybe God's producing. What you call pressing, God calls producing. What we complain about, God says is necessary for our maturity. What we used to say, well, I wish I could get away from that. God says, I'm trying to get you into that. Because if I get you into that, you'll become someone you never thought you could become. I'm almost done, I swear. Unity is bigger than me. As I close, look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. When we get into our new building, we've been talking about our teams. We're going to start providing outlines too, like message outlines. Because all the time I, I get people that are like, I'm just trying to jot down and just it's on the screen and just everything's happening so quick. So our goal is eventually to start handing you an outline. You can keep the notes for the week and stuff. Uh, verse 19, again, I say to you, Jesus speaking, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them in my father, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus says, I show up where there's unity. I, 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 I show up. I abide in those places where brothers and sisters can be unified because unity is bigger than us. It's about the kingdom. It's about the character and nature of God. So unity is costly but worth it. It's bigger than me. And then lastly, number three, unity is refreshing in a divided world. In a world that's divided, you don't know how much unity makes a difference. Just by speaking well of somebody, just by refusing to gossip, just by refusing to hold a grudge, just by refusing to air it out on social media, just by taking a few little moments like that, unity does so much for the world around us. Verse 3 of Psalm 133, it says, Unity is like the dew of Hermon. Hermon is a mountain maybe 40 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, and it is the highest peak in all of Palestine. It's the highest peak. Now, Palestine's a desert. It's dry, not a lot of water, just stale. But at the top of the peak, it's almost ice caps at times. The Bible says unity is like the dew on the top of that mountain, which falls onto the mountains of Zion. So unity is like a peak refreshing a dry valley. When we are unified, it actually refreshes other people. When we speak well of each other, when we use the right tone with each other, when we stay committed to grace, yes, truth, but when we stay committed to grace being the thing that pulls them in, truth being the thing that changes them, what we do is we, we, try, to, we try to give them truth from like a distance and we're Hail Mary and truth down to them and they're like, I don't get it. Well, it's too far away. When we're unified, it's like do it refreshes a region. Proverbs 14 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb. And those words are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I think that's the easiest way to serve someone is to speak well. Just a good word is like medicine to the bones. Just speak well. You look good today. Thank you for serving today. You know, thank you for watching my kid today during church. Thank you for allowing me to do this. Like, thank you. Just saying thank you is a big deal. My wife, you know, she'll plan stuff and, and she'll be like, hey, can you watch the baby? And I'll be like, sure, I'll watch the baby. And then, you know, she'll be like running around, getting ready to leave with all her friends and stuff. And then as she's getting ready to leave, she'll just stop, look at me and say, hey, thank you. And just those little moments, those little cues, they bring a blessing. The Bible says there is where God commands the blessing. The blessing comes where there's unity. 
And we're only able to get unified because Jesus. Ephesians chapter two says, Jesus is our peace. It says he himself is our peace. And that when he died, he made us one with God the Father and he broke down the wall of hostility. So the gospel itself is a unifier because the gospel took a wretch like me and you and united us to God the Father. Jesus is the bridge then. He's the one that connects us to someone that we could never get there before. For thousands of years, man was trying to get to God, more religions, more traditions, more things to do. And finally God says, y'all are doing way too much. Because salvation can't be about what you do for God because then it puts the pressure on you. And it would favor people that are better at certain things. Are you following me? If the gospel was only for the weak, that means the people that admitted they were weak would only be able to get it. But the gospel is for the prideful, the weak, the strong, the lonely, the rich, the poor. It's for everybody because it unites us to somebody in some place we could never get before. The practices and all the public stuff about Christianity is great and we need it. But none of that matters unless we can see we've been united to God himself. So where do we start with unity? Final thoughts and then we'll pray. How do I now leave this service and walk out thinking about where to start with unity? Well, first of all, we have to believe it can happen. Like, let's be honest. We can leave a church service and be like, that's a good, that's a, that's a, that was a good sermon. That was a good sermon, Billy. Wow, that was great. But then you go turn the news on and there's gonna be division right away. So we have to believe it can happen. We have to believe it. We, we can't let the devil mess with our beliefs. We have to believe it can happen. Second, we have to speak like it can happen. Also, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, uh, it's impossible to please God without faith. That's what verse six says. So we have to believe it, first of all. Secondly, we have to speak like it can happen. Second Corinthians four says, I believed, therefore I spoke. So we have to speak like unity can happen. And lastly, we have to continue it after it happens. Once we're unified, and once we start seeing different kinds of people together and we're all kind of doing something, together, we have to continue in it, keep it going. As we say at our church, keep the main thing, the main thing. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that if we're going somewhere, God, we might as well go together today. Uh, we ask that we would leave this place with such a greater hunger to be united. That Lord, just because we disagree with somebody, just because we don't view life the same way, let us not at least try to still stay united under the gospel. If two Christians are in a room and they disagree on everything else but Jesus, let Jesus be enough to unite us. Let Jesus be enough to keep this church unified. Let Jesus be enough to keep the mission of this church moving forward. We thank you. In the name of Jesus. If you're here today and you feel like you need to be united to God, you're here and maybe you walked in empty or just confused or maybe just a little up in the air about things, but you're here and you're like, you know what? I need to give my life to God. I need to get back in, into some things with Jesus. Um, I'd love to pray for you this morning. If that's you, you can just lift your hand up in the air on the count of three. What we'll do is we'll pray together. And then after church, uh, there's a Bible you can get if you need it or more to do. But if you're here and you'd like to know Jesus today, you need to give your life to him. Would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Say, I need to know Jesus today. Get my life with him. Church, can we pray this? Would you say, dear God, Thank you for your son, Jesus. I believe he died for me and united me to the Father. I believe he rose again 
so I could rise again. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We need unity. We really do. If you pray that prayer, uh, we'd love to talk to you after church, tell you a little bit about what's next. Um, I do want to pray, though, before we receive the offering, get ready to dismiss. If, 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 you, if this, this hits home, like, like you're in need, there's been some, let me phrase it like this. If there has been some division in your life, and this is just as of recently, just in the last couple of weeks, there's just been some division or resistance, uh, and you need prayer. Would you lift your hand up if that's you? Just any type of division, anything coming against what you're doing. Just feel like there's a few little things we got to deal with. I see you back there. I see you. I see you. God bless you. Lord, I pray for every hand lifted. I thank you for the spirit of peace into this situation. Lord, I thank you uh, that even as this continues, whatever the issue is, whatever the situation is, Lord, I pray uh, for the lips of the person with their hand lifted. They would watch what they say. Lord, I pray for their minds, that they would process in a healthy way. And God, we pray for your spirit to be with them this week. What the enemy meant for bad, turn around for the good. What was ammunition for the kingdom of darkness may be turned into something that can be used in your good, God. So we love you. I thank you for each person that responded in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, church, you receive that word today. Can we thank God for that?